Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. And a very pleasant good evening to you. Thanks once again for taking the time out to join us on That's Truth. Pastor Murphy is here and we'll be on the program tonight. We'll be continuing our discussion on the topic, marriage and same-sex marriage. Pastor Murphy, good evening. Good evening, my brother. Pleasure to be here this evening and I appreciate the audience allowing us to be in their homes and uh, my concern would be, as always, to provide some biblical answers to their questions. Okay. We started on the topic marriage and same-sex marriage, and we are going to continue on the same line tonight. Pastor Murphy, we had some questions yeah. from last week, and so we are going to try and answer these questions before we continue with other relevant um, issues on the same topic. And so, Pastor Murphy, the first question from a listener last week, what advice would you give to a Christian young man who just found out that a friend of his is in a relationship with a same sex? Well, I want to remind you that you're saying that he's a Christian brother and some knowledge has come to you uh, in connection with some person maybe he's dealing with who is in a same-sex relationship. Um, I'm assuming that's the question, that you have a friend and he is engaged with somebody who is involved in another in a same-sex relationship. Um, it's your responsibility as a believer uh, to draw that to the attention of the Christian brother. The Bible does not sanction any kind of a same-sex relationship. Uh, it abominates it. It condemns it. It is contrary to Scripture and it's contrary to God's plan for, for man. And I, I don't think you do any service to your brother by either being silent. Uh, silence in, in a case like this might be seen as endorsement of the lifestyle. And I think it's incumbent upon you to bring this to the attention of the brother. Uh, make sure it's not gossip. Make sure you do have the facts. Um, you don't want to slander somebody uh, in this way because it can be so detrimental to their well-being. But once you have the information, you are sure of the information, I think it's your responsibility. Not I think, I know it's your responsibility as a Christian uh, to help your brother to let him know what's going on and um, lay the facts before him. But um, don't bury your head in the sand. Don't close your eyes to what's going on. Um, it can be very painful and hurtful to your brother. Remember that if they're in the same-sex relationship again, you're, you're exposing, the, the brother's being exposed to uh, a whole gamut of, of diseases 
um, the AIDS out there, herpes is out there, whatever it is. And if it devolves into a sexual relationship, the person is actually jeopardizing their lives. So you you need to you need to take um, um, immediate action and share it with the brother, and um, you you're concerned about his welfare. That would be my counsel to you. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. And the other question from last week from a listener. I guess this was referring to the repeat program on Thursday afternoon. Said, this afternoon I missed out on the topic of homosexuality. Is it a topic your leaders will be discussing regularly for the families and the community? I would like to know what the Bible have to say about such lifestyle in the community. Well, I'm not too sure that we will be uh, discussing it with any degree of regularity. What we wanted to do was to sensitize the Christian community of the battle, the ongoing battle that is going to eventually be faced in this country. Um, I, I think it is almost certain that the buggery laws of the Antigua are going to be decriminalized. I think that the homosexual lifestyle is going to be normalized in this country. Um, I do believe that eventually the pressure from the Western countries will bully these small countries into falling in line with their moral social agenda. And I do feel that uh, eventually uh, you're probably going to have the legalization of same-sex marriage, etc., etc. But the church must not be part of that. The church must take an, a stand, a biblical stand, against these kind of lifestyles. And the reason why we are venting this matter uh, um, presently, because we see the repercussions of it in the long term, like what's happening in America. Um, when what what was the photographer going to do uh, in the Caribbean when a same-sex couple want to get married and he refuses to? to do uh, the photography. What does a baker do when he refuses to bake a cake? In America, those are legal cases. And I suspect that it will follow suit here in the Caribbean. But we must not surrender our Christian beliefs and our convictions because something is legalized. The legalization of immorality is not binding on a Christian. A Christian's commitment first is to God and the truth of Scripture. Now, we must be willing to pay the penalty that's involved when we take our stand. But we must not compromise on these matters in order to make Christianity more relevant or more popular. We stick to the biblical truth, like the church has always done. I'm talking about the authentic church. I'm talking about the redeemed church. And that that has always taken a stand on these matters. And, and can I say this? Um, please remember that when Christianity came on the scene, what we are witnessing now was common. We are now in the age of neo-paganism. Secularism has taken over the Western society, and the the foundational biblical principles and Christianity that that, that was the core foundation of, of of Western civilization has pretty much um, been destroyed and undermined. And now what we have is a neo paganism um, in the in, in the Western world, and um, so we're going to face the. But remember that Christianity buried all of these issues. <laughs> There's not an issue that we face today that Christianity did not face. And uh, did not, uh, quite quite frankly, uh, totally destroyed and obliterate. But because the church is so weak, and the church has compromised again and again and again, it has no moral authority. 
Uh, and uh, what is needed today is the church to take a firm stand on issues and rebuild this credibility with the public, take stands on, on, on these issues. And I think in the long term, God will bless. God cannot bless now because the church is what it is. God sees the church as it is, a compromising church, a church that is more concerned about being relevant than being in tune with him, more concerned about uh, popularity rather than, than being popular with God. And compromise after compromise after compromise has led us to this condition where uh, people don't even want to hear our voices any longer because we've lost our moral authority. But... Um, I, that's why we're dealing with it, uh, but it's not going to be a regular program. As far as in the community is concerned, um, look, we must accept people, and I, that, I don't mean by accepting people that we endorse their lifestyle. Uh, um, I'm not suggesting that, but we must understand that every man is made in the image of God. Even the homosexual is made in the image of, of God. And we have to respect the fact that uh, people have value. But uh, accepting that doesn't mean that we endorse it. We must abominate this practice. We must do everything we can in our power uh, to minimize the, the the spreading of it, the perpetuation of it. We must give the biblical position. And I would suggest as well that uh, it's a threat to the community in terms of the health threat to the community. So it must not be something we take lying down. Uh, we must not in any way seem to endorse it. On the other hand, we're not suggesting violence or mistreatment uh, of uh, those people who have gone this aberrant way involved in that which is perversion. But uh, we must still hold our stand and we must still show kindness and love and we must offer them hope. But that hope is found in transformation in the power of Jesus Christ. And so we we still have a ministry to those people, but we're not going to endorse it. We're not going to approve it. We're not going to sanitize it. We're going to call it for what it is. It is actually an immoral, perverted form of sexual expression that the Bible condemns. That's our position. And we do everything in our power within our community um, to to eliminate it. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et and, and make sure that it doesn't spread. But that is without violence. That's without mistreatment, and that is treating people with dignity. Pastor Murphy, you alluded that laws will be enacted soon, just like the government enacted um, legislation concerning marijuana and homosexual lifestyles, and so will be. Um, it's coming more prevalent. So let's suppose the government of the day enacted laws that the church must conduct same-sex marriage. What should the um, Christian community do? There is no government that can mandate to any church the authorization of same-sex marriage. That's impossible. The separation of church and state is very, very clear. That's a biblical principle. And listen, uh, we must obey God rather than man. That's the biblical principle. When the, church, when the government starts infringing on the the responsibility of the church and the duty of the church and the role of the church, then we come to a major clash. If it requires civil disobedience, so be it. Civil disobedience is is, uh, is nothing wrong with civil disobedience as long as it's done without violence. Uh, what we're going to need in the future is a, a is a cadre of lawyers, Christian lawyers, uh, who could connect with uh, lawyers in the states that are protecting the rights of believers. Because this is a war that's coming our way. But, um, for example, I can say this now and I can say it forever. I do not know of a Baptist church anywhere in the Caribbean that would perform a same-sex marriage. 
Uh, and I don't, th- I, not I don't think, un- unless they go contrary to Scripture and now compromise, the, the government cannot tell a church that it must perform same-sex marriage. That is outside the pale of the responsibility of the government. But if there was such a law enforced in Antigua, I wouldn't follow it. I don't have any Christian that would follow it. No, they don't have enough prisons in Antigua or enough jails to hold all the Christians in Antigua. So what are they going to do with us? I think this is what the American Christians should have done a long, long time. And they never took a stand. And now they are fighting a battle where they're trying to survive. But had they taken a firm stand before this thing took over and the media started um, supporting it and started uh, really uh, a media program of, of propaganda against the Christian church as always trying to suppress people's freedom and liberties, et cetera, et cetera. The church eventually was so silent and so mute. By the time it woke up like Rip Van Winkle, the, the, the battle was lost. And now in America, it's a fighting battle. Uh, the other thing, brother, um, Christian business people in Antigua. Now, what governments need to understand is biblical stewardship. And I think that that's one of the great deficiencies. They don't understand it. They, they see business as business. They see church as church. They see family as family. They seem to miss the point that the entire Christian life is integrated. We can't separate our business life and our married life and our, 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 and our, our sports life from being a Christian. Everything comes in one ball, and Christianity pervades every aspect of our lives. So if I was a Christian businessman and I was a baker in America, for example, there's no way I would bake a cake for a homosexual couple. If I had to go to jail, I had to go to jail. That's, that's, that's a, that would be an option for me. But there's no way anybody can tell me as a, a Christian businessman that I have to bake a cake. Or if I'm a photographer, for example, that because uh, I'm having a same-sex marriage and because you're offering a public service, et cetera, et cetera, you must take focus to me. I don't know how the, how the Christians think, but I live by my conscience before God. And I could not support a matter of that. Could I, could I draw another illustration that might seem strange to some people in the public? If I had apartments and I had uh, homes that I rent out, I could not rent an apartment or home to a homosexual couple. That's contrary to my conscience. So you can see very clearly we're headed to some very serious legal battles. And I hope this government is more sensible than the American government uh, in understanding these issues from a Christian perspective. If not, we're head for, headed for a lot of litigation in the future. And it doesn't augur well for a Christian, uh, the Christian community. But let me just say this. We need to take a stand now. We don't wait until we wake up one day and we've lost this battle. This is the time to sensitize the Christian public and the Christian community to these issues. And we need to have some serious lawyers, Christian lawyers, already thinking ahead of the, this eventuality. And uh, they got their law practice, but their Christianity must come into play with their law practice. Uh, so we have some battles ahead, but um, I'm not at all discouraged. I, I just need, we just need to speak out on these issues. Pastor Murphy, one of the ways that um, the gay community seem like they um, use is to infiltrate the political arena. And when they get there and have all their friends and whatever, then you find the laws of them are being changed. Uh, you can go on the website. Uh, you can go in America and probably Google. I, felt, I did it one time. But Google um, homosexuals, leaders in the government of America. It will shock you. The volume of people who are publicly involved in the American government who are engaged in homosexuality, don't take my word for it. Check it out yourself. It would shock you. That helps you to understand the the culture 
of the legislation that's done in America, et cetera, et cetera, and they understand what the political thing is all about. Now, fortunately for us, I am not aware, with one or two exceptions in Antigua, that that is true within the political arena. But these people have a, an agenda. They're powerful. Uh, they have vast resources. People inv- in, in, involved in the arts, in music, in, in government. It's such a pervasive culture. And one of the great things that I'm, I think will happen in the future, especially for us in the Caribbean, that once we become labeled as those who oppose homosexuality, and I suspect that sometime we will not be able to get visas. We'll be, we'll be blacklisted. Uh, this is going to happen. You're going you're gonna to live to see it happen because there is this culture where it's, it's pretty much accepted now in the Western world that we, this, is a, this is a human rights issue. This is social justice, and uh, it's going to be enforced by whatever measures are required. The test for the Christian is, what are we going to do then? Are we going to surrender, or are we going to take a firm biblical stand? I repeat, they do not have enough jails in Antigua to take and put all the Christians who take a stand on these issues. So we're in very good stead. But at the same time, we must use our influence, whatever, whether we be in politics, a Christian in politics, whether we be a lawyer, whether it be a doctor, whatever position we hold, we carry our Christianity into that environment and try. Look, what if there was not a Wilberforce, a man in parliament? What if he did not take a stand based on Christian principles against slavery? Where would we be today and how much longer it would have taken? But here was a man in parliament using his parliamentary post to beat into the consciousness of the parliament of, of England that slavery was wrong. It goes against the, the principles of scripture about equality and dignity and the value of man. But he jeopardized his entire political career, as it were. And look how long it took him. Uh, I, 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 I've, I've done a little study on it in that regard. I can't remember how many years it took him. But he, he kept pushing and kept pushing until finally he broke the conscience of the, uh, the English uh, uh, politicians. And, uh, of course, slavery was disbanded, etc., etc. But think of other Christians who have taken positions. Uh, had they uh, kowtowed and, and uh, surrendered, where would we be today? It has always been Christian taking a firm stand, and we need to do that ourselves. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. Okay, we are going to answer another question from last week. This is a different um, topic than what we are dealing with, but uh, we're going to answer the question. How should a church deal with the matter of a Christian who goes out in restaurants entertaining the unsaved and still want to perform in church? This is a ticklish one for some, but it's not really a, a difficult problem for me. The reason why I say that is that some people think, well, it's just a job. But there are some jobs that are just not appropriate for Christians. Our testimony is at stake. And we need to be very, very careful that we represent Christ wherever we are. There are some jobs that I could not do and I would not recommend for for believers. For example, to be a bartender, uh, serving alcoholic beverages to people. Uh, a, a Christian who owns a supermarket, for example, selling cigarettes and those kind of things. I mean, clearly, this is this is uh, at, at uh, loggerheads with the biblical principle. We're, we know something is wrong, and yet we endorse it because of money. The Bible warns us that the love of money is the root of all evil. And some Christians are willing to compromise themselves in this regard. If I was a pastor, and I had anybody in my church 
who is going to karaoke or uh, hotels and uh, singing ungodly songs to to um, the, the public. They could not sing in in the choir in my church. They could not be involved in that kind of a music ministry. Uh, I would have to take a very firm stand on that. Uh, I would say to people who find themselves in jobs that are inappropriate for believers, uh, be looking in a different direction and preparing a career in a different direction. Uh, find something that is, is more in harmony with Christian principles. But it cannot be right to do wrong and then come into the church and you just want to live right. Uh, we got to be consistent in our testimony. If, if it is, for example, I mean, I can use so many examples that would come to mind in that regard. But I would say a pastor should take a firm stand on these matters. And just because the person is their job, not all jobs are appropriate. So, I mean, to go to the extreme, people today see prostitution as a job. Can a Christian then be engaged in that kind of activity and be active in the church as well? You know, when you when you boil it down, you got you got to look at the whole spectrum of it. But I think we need to understand that there are some jobs that Christians uh, should stay out of and try to find those jobs that are more in harmony uh, with Christian principles because ultimately you are to glorify God in everything that you do. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, the Bible says, the glory. how can I be glorifying God on a, a dance floor um, uh, or how can I be glorifying God singing ungodly songs? How, how, how do I do that? And that's why I say to you uh, at the beginning that the concept of stewardship is a lost concept. I'm a steward of everything that God has given to me. And uh, what, if God has given me a talent, I'm a steward of that talent. If God has given me financial resources, I'm a steward of that. I, I use my, my resources, my gifts, my talents for the glory of God. And everything I do redung, should redound to His glory. If I'm doing something that I um, feel that cannot glorify Him, I need to find an alternative. Pastor Murphy, we've been going along on the perversion of marriage. Let us um, now see what the Bible says about the traditional marriage. And the question is, what is the purpose of marriage? Okay, brother, we started this uh, last week, and I, I think we got to maybe uh, three points. If we need to know what marriage, the purpose of marriage, we've got to go back to Scripture. Remember our Lord was challenged in this matter in the book of Matthew chapter 19 when he was asked a question on divorce. And then he took the audience back to God's original intent in the book of Genesis. And I think if we're going to understand marriage, we've got to understand what the first marriage was about. And if we're going to understand the purpose of marriage, we have to decipher those purposes by looking at what was God's intent uh, in that first account. Um, Let me just list about five things very quickly. In regards to this matter, I, I mentioned last time that the first purpose of marriage, not the order, when I give the order here, it doesn't mean that this is the priority, but these are things that are listed. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone, and um, God realized that man needed a companion. And so the first, one of the main purpose of, one of the purpose of marriage is companionship. That, by the way, is what really motivates couples to come together. Uh, companionship is not the exhaustive purpose of marriage, but it's one of those great purposes of marriage. Uh, it is the way of uh, taking the loneliness out of life, both on the male and the female, And uh, but it is there for companionship. That is a, one of the purposes. The, the second purpose of, of marriage is, in the Scriptures is that the partners are designed to complement each other. 
And what I mean by that, the Lord said, I will make him a heat, a help meet. And in the Hebrew language, it has to do with a helpmeet that is suitable to him, someone that is comparable to him and one that meets his deficiencies and one that where he has uh, f- errors or flaws or inadequacies, uh, the, 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 the partner is designed to do that. But only to help him, help him in his career, help him in his, his uh, fulfilling God's will for his life. So the, it's not even companionship, it's to complement each other in partnership as helpers. And then the third purpose that's given to marriage is children. The Bible said to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, one of the concerns about marriage is that you go into a marriage understanding that children should be part of a marriage. I personally, as a pastor, would not marry any person that came to me and said, Pastor, I want to get married, but we don't intend to have children. Somebody else would marry that couple, but not me. Because it is very clear that it's God's design that children be part of of marriage. Now listen, we have made marriage something that meet our own emotional needs and involve about our own personal happiness. But marriage was never just about ourselves. It looks beyond ourselves. It's about the future. It's about the future generation. It's about producing a future seed. It's about and uh, preserving uh, humankind. So, and to my mind, going into marriage without any idea of having children, uh, I, I, a marriage like that, I could not endorse. And I, I don't think the, the, the couple really understands the biblical purpose of marriage. Now, listen, Genesis is for us. It's not some archaic concepts that uh, should be put on the bim heap of history. Pastor Murphy, it seems like we have a caller sure. on here. Hello, Hello, good evening, listener. Yes, I'm calling from Sinkrai. I have a question for the pastor. Let okay, go right ahead. Say, uh, let, let me first say, the pastor is doing a magnificent job, you know? But, um, Pastor Murphy, yes, sir. do you think within yourself that same-sex marriage will be taking place in the Caribbean in the not-too-distant future? I'll listen to your answer off here. Thank you. Good, thank you, listener. Thanks for calling. Listener, I don't think we in the Caribbean are independent enough economically. What happened is that these larger countries, Europe is gone, totally gone. I call Europe the neo-paganism society. Basically, it's an anti-God, secularized society. They have this practice going on in Europe, and it's a concerted effort on these westernized countries to decriminalize homosexuality, uh, to, to normalize it. And once you have normalized homosexuality, they now talk about you have to give rights to the homosexuals as you give rights to normal people. So one follows the other. Once homosexuality is decriminalized, once it is now normalized in society, just like the gay, and I don't like to use the word gay, to be honest with you, I'm using it. I prefer to use the word, the word sodomites. I think gay euphemism that robs it of, this, of, the, of the pungency of the word itself. But I, I really think that our, these small islands, I don't think we got the kind of political will, political courage, and the economic means of avoiding this eventuality coming to the Caribbean. What these Western countries are going to do, they're going to blacklist us as homophobic. Now, most of these Caribbean islands depend on tourism. Uh, the majority of states in America is going to legalize homosexuality. Uh, they've already done it, and then they've now got same-sex marriage. So where are tourists going to come from? Once you get become labeled as uh, homophobic, etc., etc., and you're against homoerotic love, all that kind of stuff, 
these pressure can be brought against these governments to get loans, to get grants, and their ways of using the banking system to put pressure and penalize these countries. The whole world is so intermeshed and sort of interrelated that these powerful, bullying Western countries will bully these small Caribbean countries to fall in line with their social agenda. If you want my opinion, I think it's going to happen. What I'm really concerned about is that our politicians in the region, even if they go in that direction, that they respect the right of the Christian to operate on the basis of his conscience. I, as a Christian businessman, should not be forced to do something that's against my conscience. And the idea that because I offer public service, therefore I must do everything that a person wants. Here's the problem with the homosexual. He cannot stand you opposing his position. Now, there are other people who will be willing to bake his cake for him. And he knows that. But he wants to show you that he's going to pressure you to do what's against your conscience, so he takes you to court. Now, I hope our governments are sensible enough to understand that that might work in America, but that should not work in the Caribbean. We should respect the fact that a person... I could serve if I had a restaurant and a homosexual came into the restaurant and he wants to buy food and he wants to sit down and have a drink. I can't stop him. It's a public service. A homosexual can come into my church and sit in the church. He can sit down there and listen to the preaching. But I'm not going to endorse his lifestyle. But if he comes to me now and say to me, I realize that you are, you are a catering service as well as a restaurant, and I'd like you to cater for my gay wedding, I can't do it. Would never do it. And I hope that whatever legislation comes into the future, that those exceptions are included in the legislation so as to respect the Christian right, uh, not violate his conscience. That is what I would love to see happen when this legislation comes through. Because if it doesn't, we have to prepare to go to jail for taking a stand against these things because I will not be bullied into going against my conscience to satisfy um, some pervert uh, pervert and his lifestyle. I, I would not do that. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. And again, thanks to that listener from St. Croix for the question. Okay, then let's continue. Yeah, the, I, I mentioned the companionship, the fact that they are complementary partners to help each other and the idea of children. I, I, I cannot emphasize too much that children are an essential part of marriage. You go back to Genesis, you see what God's design is. We always got to go back to what, what did God intend? What did God want? It's not what we want. It's what was God's intent. We fall in line with God's intent. The, the fourth thing I would say is for conjugal, conjugal intimacy. And they become one flesh. And what I mean by that simply is that it's for sex. The only legitimate expression of sex is within a marriage. Any form of sexual activity outside of marriage is contrary to God's will, contrary to God's word, and it's abominated uh, in Scripture. Not only is the homosexual lifestyle abominated, not only is the lesbian lifestyle abominated, but the uh, fornication and adultery, all of those are abominated as well. But this is where, in the context of marriage, this is where sex should be exercised. And uh, it's in that context of security and stability and um, permanence that this, we should have sex. But what we've done today is that we've gone outside the pale of uh, God's restrictions. And as a result, we've got the confusion that we have today. Can you think for just a moment, if we lived in, an, in, a, in a community where you had committed monogamous heterosexual marriages, relationships that were permanent. Pastor Murphy, we have another listener. Hello, good evening. Hello, good evening. St. Christ calling again. Go right ahead. Yeah, I would like to ask the pastor this question. What the pastor think we as Caribbean Christians can do to avoid
avoid the same-sex marriage taking place in the Caribbean? That's a tough one. I'm not too sure. Look, it's the will of the people that politicians depend on people's votes. I, I, I'm not too sure if we have enough Christians in the, in the Caribbean that could um, lobby against same-sex marriage to get the ear of the politician. But we should not take this lying down. There's no question about that. One of the things that I wish could, could really start in the Caribbean is that we had some kind of a, uh, an association, some kind of a, um, a group of, made of professional Christians, lawyers, doctors, etc., educators, uh, who can really, really become a lobbying force to deal with a lot of, like in America. But to take this thing sitting down is, is, is fearful. But we as pastors, I'm limited to what I can do within the church. I don't want to get wrapped up, involved in, in social a- uh, activism. And this is where lay people in the church should see this as an opportunity for them to blossom and become an instrument of transformation in society because we as a pastor we can back them we can help them the church can help them but for us to get involved in all of this and, and ignore the ministry of preaching and teaching and praying uh, I don't want to go that way but I do feel that um, we need to form some kind of Caribbean uh, international Caribbean institution um, to try to, to deal with these issues but we need professionals as well as pastors and lay people in this whole thing but we can't wait um, until it gets here. Pastor. Yes, sir. Another question. Sure. What what, what do you think about a pastor who performs same-sex marriage? What category you have those sort of pastors in? I'll listen off here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. A pastor like that should be defrocked. Defrocked. Totally defrocked. He should lose his pastoral license. I don't know what association he might be in, but certainly if he's among Baptists, he would be defrocked. He would be completely excommunicated. Now, we are independent Baptist churches, so the, the local church will decide whether or not he continues in that ministry. But for me, for example, I would completely break my association with a man like that, because for a pastor to so willfully, knowingly go against biblical principles, a man like that should not be in the pulpit, in my judgment. And I would not associate with a man like that. And any church that has a pastor who is willing to do that, I think the proper thing to do, by the, by the way, a lot of churches don't understand how to get rid of a pastor. I can tell you how to get a pastor fired very easily, at least within the Baptist circle. You, you call the congregation together, you point out the, the anomaly, you point out the wrong, the, con, the, 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 the lifestyle or the action that's contrary to biblical principles. Uh, you see if the pastor is willing to renege and repent of those kind of things. If he doesn't, churches call pastors. People can fire the, the, the pastor. So if you find you've got a pastor that is going against the moral principles of the Bible, the biblical principles, you call the congregation together and you say, listen, this is scripturally wrong. This is biblically wrong. You point it out to the pastor. You give him this opportunity to say what he has to say. But it's the church, not the pastor, that is the final voice in, in, in these matters. And I know I know situations where uh, people feel boxed in. What do I do? How, how do we deal with this matter? And they feel as though they're helpless. They're not helpless. They're the ones that call the pastor. They're the ones that go fire the pastor. And the pastor is going contrary to Scripture, especially that should be the main reason that a man should be removed from the pulpit and get somebody who takes the word of God seriously. Because if you don't, if he compromises on this level, believe you me, there are greater compromises coming down. And where then, where does your church now have any moral authority? There's no moral authority that your pastor has any longer. Your church doesn't have any moral authority. So the salt has lost its savor. The light has become darkness. As a result of that, there's no testimony, there's no witness, there's no effectiveness. You might as well close the church door and maybe turn it into a social club. 
Okay, Pastor Murphy, we're going to continue with the points you were making on what is the purpose of marriage. So basically, companionship, uh, complementary partners uh, who are help meet to each other, uh, children. We talk about conjugal in- intimacy, that is the same sex, uh, sorry, the one, one flesh uh, relationship, sexual uh, be- sex between a husband and a wife. And then we talk about uh, the, the third thing, of course, a couple is designed, a marriage is designed to carry out God's will by obeying God's command, uh, which has to do with being fruitful, subdue the earth, training our children, and of course spreading the kingdom of God um, in society. Those are substantially the four, the five main things that you find that uh, marriage relate to. Those are the main purposes of marriage. Now, take same-sex marriage. Uh, it violates basically several of these principles. Uh, take, for example, the matter of um, children. Uh, if this is fundamental to what is marriage, it excludes same-sex people being able to marry. I repeat, the government didn't create marriage. The government didn't invent marriage. Marriage is a ordinance that God has given to us in his word, and God is the one that decides what marriage is. And I think it is sheer arrogance on the part of any government to be able to change uh, what God has instituted. And remember, this is the only civilization in the history of mankind, 6,000 years, that is now approving same-sex marriage. No other civilization prior to this one. And this is the most decadent age. We are now in the final phase. This is, I really believe this is the terminal generation. And in this terminal generation where we've now got people gone away from biblical truth, you know, in a secularized society, and we've now got neo-paganism rising this ugly head, uh, a humanistic world with um, moral relativism, etc. It's at this stage now that they want to tamper with marriage. Uh, uh, so take the other one, uh, conjugal intimacy. A man and a man cannot be one flesh. A woman and a woman cannot be one flesh. As a matter of fact, I will tell you this, it, it bothers me. Uh, and this is where I think perversion comes in in the whole matter. Any man that can find pleasure in playing in a sewage canal, something is wrong with that man's mind. Uh, and that is why the the American Psychological Society has always up until 19, uh, I think it's 73, uh, I can get the correct date, as a mental illness. And the WHO, W-H-O, only removed it from being a mental illness in the 1990s. They understood it's a problem. And there was something abnormal about that, something perverted about that. And any right-thinking person uh, who has normal uh, understanding and understand the Bible, understand that this really is not a normal thing. This is a, a level of perversion. And by the way, if you go to the book of Romans chapter 1, which I don't want to go off and veer off on that as a tangent, but Romans chapter 1 distinguishes it as an extreme form of sin. All sins are not equal, by the way. All sins are not equal. Uh, uh, but the Bible points that out, that any time you have a growing movement of homosexuality in any part of a community or world, it is an indication that God has judicially judged that country and he's taken his hand off the, uh, re- his restraining hand to allow this thing to be perpetuated. And I think that's what's happening in the Western world. God has removed his hand and we are now under God's judgment. Pastor Murphy, we have another caller who would like to go on here. Hello, good evening. Hello, good night. A question for Pastor Murphy. Go right ahead. Pastor Murphy, do you think that same-sex 
couple have the right to adapt a listener of here. Thank you. By the way, I, I'm glad you raised that question because to my mind, this is one of the most repulsive concepts that I have uh, I have actually thought of it in my mind, try to visualize uh, what this means. Uh, I'll tell you why I, I say that, listener. One of my, well, my associate youth pastor brought me a picture some time ago when they had a gay parade in America. And he showed me a picture of what was going on. And here, here's what the picture was. It was a man with a little boy on his shoulder and another man French kissing the little boy in public. That got me so upset and so mad. That is what I am concerned about uh, more than... You see, once you legalize marriage, same-sex marriage, they will also have the right to adoption. And, I, and this is what, to my mind, worsens the situation. Look, homosexuals have to perpetuate their lifestyle. They can't reproduce. So you have to start from very early, molding children. And adults have always been responsible to protect children. We are now reneging on our responsibility in protecting children and putting them in an environment where they can be feminized in the case of, uh, or they can be, uh, you know. Uh, when this happens, how, how can we, with a good conscience of adults, believe that it can be right to, uh, 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 a said, to adopt a child, take t- two lesbians, adopting a little girl, and from the time she is there until uh, right through, they are honing her and molding her to become a lesbian. Same thing with a homosexual. Imagine a homosexual couple able to take a little boy, five years old, and uh, engage. And remember that the vast majority of homosexuals got into the practice at a very early age. And that's why they keep saying they're born with it. Most of them, uh, it's not that you're not born a homosexual. You, you develop homosexual by, uh, by, by, by habit and practice, and often it's from a very early age. And I, I cannot think of something anything more repulsive than the concept that we could be so dumb in the Western world as to facilitate uh, a child being put in an environment where he can be influenced to become either lesbian or homosexual. To my mind, that is worth fighting for. And I do hope that the public will see uh, that that uh, should not be tolerated. Pastor Murphy, we have a WhatsApp message, and the listener has a question. Should the Christian father's role change if he and his wife are divorced? Well, a father has responsibilities. Whether a father is, is, is with his wife or he's divorced, he still has responsibilities towards his children. Uh, well, there are certain legal responsibilities towards his wife dependent. I, I, look, these are the days where the no-fault divorce, I've lost count of what's involved in no-fault divorce. I think that was a tragedy that we have uh, come up with a system in the care. And, and again, we're just following what the Western world is doing, the corrupt Western world. We just followed suit as well, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But a father, um, whether he's divorced his wife or not, he has responsibilities towards his children. And uh, I, I, I know that uh, mom, sometimes when the divorce happens, especially if she is the innocent party, there are some very strong emotional feelings, uh, almost hatred that develops between the the the, um, the couple who is split. But I think a, a mother is doing a great disservice uh, if she doesn't allow her uh, the child's father to connect with the children. Now, if the father's of bad influence, that's a different thing altogether. You have to put put some checks in places. But if you have a, a man who really loves his children and really cares about his children. Uh, I think it's a mistake for the mother to uh, block access to the father 
And I, I do think that some arrangement should be made for there be some kind of interaction. And I think uh, as a father as well, if the children are under age, uh, he needs to maintain support for the children. And I would I would recommend to any mother who has a, a husband who is uh, divorced and uh, who doesn't pay the maintain to take it to court. That's his responsibility. If he's not willing to do it of his own free choice, use the legal uh, sanction of law to compel him to meet his obligations to his children. But I do not, uh, I do not uh, believe it is right for a father um, because of divorce to fail in fulfilling his responsibilities towards his children. They're his children, and he should meet their financial needs. Even if he can't sleep with a mother, he still has responsibility to, to meet his financial needs. That's, uh, that is scriptural. That is biblical. If, the Bible says if a man does not take care of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. And uh, Any Christian father, and uh, not just Christian father, any, any father uh, should take care of his children. That's his responsibility. Okay, we are dealing with same-sex marriage and marriage. And Pastor, I don't know if you cover um, the first question, what is the purpose of marriage? You'd like to go into the next question? Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Um, okay, what is marriage? What constitutes marriage? Again, we got to go back to Genesis to have a concept of what, what was God's intent and uh, how, how, what marriage is. Not only Genesis. Remember that Genesis is just a foundational book of the Bible. But we also can go to the scripture to get a better understanding of what marriage is, how um, how God saw it, and how God sees it. Without giving you any particular order, let me suggest to you several things about what constitutes marriage. Number one, marriage is a covenant. This covenant is implied in Genesis, but it's explicitly stated elsewhere in scripture. For example, in Proverbs, when uh, the adulteress is being warned, um, it, 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 it says that she has forgotten the covenant of her God. Here's a woman who's married. And she has gone and get involved in adultery. And uh, the, the Bible warns her that it's a covenant she made with God when she was married. So marriage involves a covenant. In Malachi, when uh, the prophet rebukes the man who abandons his wife, um, he rebukes her and he says these words, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So clearly, there's a covenant relationship within marriage. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp message here. And I think we should um, try and Go tackle ahead. this one before... We come to the end of the program. My husband and I are divorced. Still go to the same church. He functions in the church and me and the children are right there. And he says nothing to us. The church accepts this behavior. I don't know what church you're going to, but you might be going to the wrong church. Uh, Number one, I, I don't know. There's no such thing as no fault divorce. Okay. Is he the guilty culprit that's responsible for the divorce? Um, so we got to find out who's the innocent person here. Are both people equally responsible? That is something that your pastor should have tried to settle uh, before. I'm not too sure what role he's playing in the church, uh, but I don't believe a person who is divorced should be a pastor, and he could not be a pastor within the Baptist circle for sure. Uh, and for me, in our church, he could not be a deacon either. And the reason for that, by the way, is because the Bible says the the deacon and the pastor should be beyond reproach. If you go into the book of Proverbs, it says the reproach of the adult of the adulterer shall not be taken away. The, the person who's so, if it's because of adultery that it led to a divorce, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that person is unsuited to be a pastor or deacon. We must have the highest standards 
for people in leadership church in, or role in the church, especially when it comes to leadership. There are other things you can do. Now, I, I feel that if you are, you, you know, here's a guy, he's divorced, you're divorced, you're in the same church, he's in the same church. There is no attempt to um, be reconciled. That should be the first thing your pastor should try to do, by the way, to try to reconcile the two of you in that regard. But if it is clear that uh, the relationship is such that it is so poisoned, he's in a leadership role and he's not doing anything to change that, 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 that poison atmosphere, I think it's right and proper that the pastor, whoever the pastor is, ask him to step down for a while until this thing could be resolved amicably and some kind of restoration between yourself. Whether you get back together and marry or not is, uh, may not be able, might not be possible. But there should be some kind of a relationship uh, uh, between yourself, especially if that person is playing a, a, a role. Pastor, we have another listener who would like to go on the air. Hello, good evening. Good night. Pastor go Murphy, good night. Good night, sir. Yes, Pastor Murphy, I'm a, I'm a bit lost. What, what is the purpose of a ring within a marriage ceremony? I'll listen after you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, the ring basically is a symbol. It's a customary traditional symbol that virtually is, is there as a visible symbol that a person is married. Really, the, the ring in the Bible is really the, the oneness between the husband and the wife. In other words, what seals the marriage in the scriptures, this one, this sexual encounter between the two. That, that is really the invisible sign that marriage has taken place, sexual activity. But the real purpose of the ring in the modern times is, is just to say a, a visible rep- representation that people are married. I think it's a good thing, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I ought to be able to look on somebody's hand and realize they're married. And I think sometimes people who may have second thoughts about trying to make a pass at you by just seeing the ring. But we'll deal with this next time. We don't have enough time to deal with it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you asking the question. I'll try to deal with it in more detail in our next session. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. We have now come to the end of our program for tonight. Once again, we'd like to thank our listeners for participating. Those who have sent in their WhatsApp and those who call in, we do appreciate you doing so. I do trust that the program has been a source of enlightenment and spiritual encouragement to you. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.